Hey, hey, friends, we have a great episode coming up today. But before we get there, I have a very quick request for you. So we're coming to the end of this season of Mission Forward, and we need to know if this show is resonating with you. As you probably imagine, we put a ton of our hearts and our minds and our energy into producing the show, and we want it to be the best it can. So if you can take two minutes and head over to missionforward.us, you'll see a link right at the top to take our survey. I would so appreciate it. Thanks so much. And here's the show. Welcome to the Mission Forward podcast, where each week we bring you a thought-provoking and perspective-shifting conversation on the power of communications. I'm Carrie Fox, your host and CEO of Mission Partners, a social impact communications firm and a certified B Corporation. This season, we are talking with a great mix of nonprofit and foundation leaders, along with some of the nonprofit consultants I admire most about what it really takes to move a mission forward. Today, we've got a friend, Nadine Gabay Botero, who I will forever have a very special connection to, as it was my meeting with her and our small group of fellow impact-minded CEOs that met the day before COVID was named a global pandemic. Nadine and members of our peer group became my lifeline and my levity in those difficult days as a business owner. And so I am super glad to have her here with us today as we finish up this season of the show. Let me tell you a little bit about her first. Nadine is a certified fundraising executive and a fundraising and development expert, having worked with nonprofits for the past 25 years to expand their revenue and their donor bases. Nadine is constantly challenging the norms, helping clients think about how to evolve their fundraising plans for the most effective outcomes. Originally from Lima, Peru, she's a proud Latinx fundraiser who brings her diverse background and perspective to her client engagements. And I have gotten to see the incredible impact of her work firsthand on some of our shared assignments. Nadine, I am so glad to have you on today's show and to help me close out this fifth season of Mission Forward. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for asking me. For sure. So you might know if you've had a chance to listen to some others that I always start with a big open-ended question about how you got to do what you do, this super cool job and company that you lead today called Focus Fundraising. So tell me a little bit about how this life journey brought you to start Focus Fundraising. Sure. Um, Well, I've been in business um, for 12 years as a consultant. And um, the, the honest truth is that I had young kids and and I feel like for a long time, it was sort of um, this thing that as women, we were trying to sort of not hide it, but that was sort of on background. What you were was this professional doing great things. But the honest truth is I was trying to do both and I wanted to do both as well as possible. And I wanted more flexibility. So I um, said, I'm going to try to have my own time and my own hours. And that's why I did this. And I I did it. I sort of scaled up. And as my kids grew, I scaled up even more. And it became, I realized that I I was sort of an entrepreneur at heart and almost didn't know it because I'd been working in nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, uh, I love supporting nonprofits, but I also love marketing. I also love communications. 
And I love having this thing that I can make into whatever uh, is possible. So, so that's really how I entered into it. And I, my hope and my belief is that now there were, we as women are allowed to be much more open with the fact that we are balancing. And, and in fact, this sort of push for, for that balanced work life now with um, COVID, I see it and I, I applaud it because I think it's exciting to be able to be sort of full women, full professionals, full whatever you want in your life. My friend, Paulina Pinchevsky, um, she has dubbed this term called founding mothers, the idea mm -hmm. that we are both moms and founders of businesses and what the interesting lens is when we bring both of those things to work with us. Absolutely. I'm, I, I feel fortunate that I was sort of forced into this place because mm -hmm. if I hadn't been, I don't think I would have uh, sort of given birth to this uh, business that I've been so yeah. incredibly lucky to lead. So 12 years, mm -hmm. you were through your first decade, you have a teenager of a business. Um, <laughs> and the last couple of years have been anything from expected, right? Regardless of what our strategic plan was that got thrown out the window. How have you thought about the role that you play, the business that you have these last couple of years? Honestly, if there's one thing, it's that I am a partner to my clients. And I think I've not experienced that more so than these last couple of years. Most of my clients, we've worked together. Uh, in other words, there's not been a lot of turnover. We're just there connected. And I am there to ask them, what do you need? Yes, it's all fundraising related. Um, but there are there's a there's a big uh, shift right now in staffing in fundraising staffing and we have been there uh, we have a, a team of folks who work at Focus uh, with me they are senior consultants they are researchers writers etc and so depending on what's needed we come in and we are there for three months we are there for a year what do you need and how can we help you do it better. Um, and so I have found this partnership that's just been very satisfying, I think, to both uh, the clients and to us because we help them solve their problems. And yes, of course, we're about, you know, expanding your donor base and figuring out how to, to connect donors with your mission. But it's also about how do you just have some calm in your day-to-day -day life because you know things are getting taken care of. Yeah, it's that role of the trusted advisor, right, that you play so well. What are some of the most common problems or barriers that you've seen show up in these last couple of years? You know, to start off, uh, how do you connect with your donors? I think everyone had to have a mind shift of, oh, okay, I guess I am going to start meeting them on screen. And that's not only nonprofit, but also the donors. Am I comfortable with this? Um, there's been the shift, a wonderful shift. Uh, I think there is always, for many organizations, been this sort of formality Oh, you are my donor. I I have this, you know, absolute. I'm gonna I'm gonna present my best face only at all times. And while we want to do that, there's just reality kind of pushed its way in. So I have seen just these conversations with donors, with funders that are much more real. They're much more emotional in a good way. And so these these connections are forged much more quickly because you've just been very honest about either the challenges you're dealing with, the opportunities that are there, if you can just you know, spend some time and you have the funds to do them. Um, and also just meeting the, 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 the things that come right in front of you. Um, there is no stopping it. And that is the case for COVID, but it was also the case for the sort of racial reckoning that happened in 2020. Um, and a, a lot of organizations, uh, either they, they, we're right in the front lines because of their mission, 
or they re- they looked around and they said, we've got to change things. How do we do it? And being able to talk to your donors about that or your prospects was just game changing. You know, I've been thinking a lot about um, innovation and where innovation comes from and how much of innovation comes out of moments of crisis, right? When you're pushed back against a wall and you need to figure out where you're going to go from there, that often something really interesting will emerge. And that what COVID required of so many nonprofits is they had to look at the things they had taken for granted. So I remember in that first week or so after we were all sent home and quarantined, one of the nonprofits that we were working with had to cancel their annual gala, which was 60% of their annual revenue. And it was gone. It wasn't going to come through. And so they then had to figure out how they were going to do it. And they realized that if they just went back to basics and did some one-on-one phone calls and Zoom conversations and checked in with people, put actually their mission aside and just checked in with their donors, that that was going to be the more important piece than having the income come in. And ultimately, the income came in and actually came in at an even greater extent because they didn't have the um, expenses associated with that gala. But it was that mind shift you talk about, right? That like, they would have never gotten there if they didn't have to get there. That's right. Absolutely agree. And I saw that both regarding events, but also the, the, the program needs that just popped up. We have to help this community. If it's a food bank, we now have hundreds additional people to, to serve. How can we do that? And so it's always, you know, what is that service that you're providing and how do you show that that is the most vital thing at this time? And at the time it was, you know, a lot of times as sort of fundraisers, marketers, we're trying to figure out how do you present that in such a light? We didn't have to do that because in this moment there, it was very real. It was a matter of communicating it and and telling folks, however you had to, whether it was increasing your you know distribution of your newsletter or getting on the phone or having your board make calls. Some of those things were were not their comfort zone, but they had to do it because they had to communicate that need. So I just shared that little story with you and I know you are full of stories. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear some that have stuck with you about those early lessons that maybe folks learned about their fundraising approaches or their communications that have stuck with you. You know, I'm thinking of a few different ways. One of them, I was thinking of an organization I work with that um, was required, had been required since 2019 to do these these updates. They're sort of uh, impact reports with very specific uh, information that they needed to share to their funders. And what we realized, you know, certainly around 20, end of 2020, is that this is a, a vehicle to tell stories. And while on the one hand, you can be checking off boxes to share data, those stories were what was really going to resonate. And with the limits in staffing, and I'm gonna get back to that because honestly, it's the most important thing right now in fundraising. But with limits, you have to sort of take one tool and use it in as many ways as possible. So there comes a, a, a double doubling down on storytelling, which means you have to gather the story First, let's take a step back. Who are the writers? Who's writing for you? And is that a real a person who understands this kind of writing? And then how are you taking that story? Are you doing two pieces, a long form, a short form? How are you sharing it on social media in all the different ways? And so I think it's something that we all need to be thinking about is where are you, where are those stories coming from? Yeah. And there's an opportunity to shift the microphone, right? Like to, or to pass the pen around and give it to someone who maybe doesn't typically have the ability to share that story firsthand. That's right. Staffing feels like we need to talk about that because what I keep 
feeling, and I'm curious how you feel it because I think you feel it closer, is we'll get on the phone with a potential client or a current client, and it is like pants on fire. Everything is urgent, but there's no one to do what needs to get done. And so they just have to figure it out. And things end up all across the board getting done not as well as they really should, right? Because they're running after so many things. No, that's not universal, but certainly we're seeing a lot of that. And these days, it feels like we're pre-2020, seeing some of that urgency that we had actually stopped seeing for a little while, but now it's coming back. And I'm curious what you're seeing. It sounds like there's some shortages of staff that are maybe contributing to that. Yes, the, the shortages in staff, I would say 70% of my, my <laughs> clients right now have searches going. They put out um, job descriptions and um, they get a handful of responses. So whereas before you were sort of, oh, wow, look at all these people. I guess I have to sit through them. Now it's like, huh, uh-oh, I, they're not responding. Or they are responding and then you start going through the process and they just pull themselves out of the running. So you were getting down a certain road. Now, I think this is a couple of things. I think that it's a combination of Maybe it's inflation, but it's also waking up to the fact this is an incredible job market. And folks are saying, I cannot live off of this nonprofit salary. Whatever you think is the right salary, because, hey, look, it lines up with everybody else in our organization. And I see her this over and over. But we can't pay so-and-so more because this other person who's a manager doesn't make that much. That's all well and good. But the fundraising world is such that Whoever you hire is going to help bring revenue. And when it comes to that, if the market says X, you're going to have to come to X. They just will. And I don't think a lot of nonprofits have woken up to that. And frankly, I get it. It's, it's you know, more than they have in their budget. But we have this impasse right now. And it's a real challenging time because organizations are, are sort of stuck. And then the folks for the folks who are left, they are getting, you know, overwhelmed with the amount of work that needs to happen especially now as we get into springtime. You know, spring and fall are the busiest times for fundraising. And so they're getting into the, the time where it's like, are you budgeting? Are you planning your, are your campaigns? Are you looking ahead to you know, whatever is coming in the summer? So the, it, it's, we have to change the formula right now. And I don't know exactly what that is, but I have some ideas and I just think things have to shift because otherwise we're going to lose the folks that are in place right now doing incredible jobs. It's interesting. You're making me think about something that um, someone said to me years ago, and it was around uh, digital and social media marketing. And she said, you know, organizations are often quick to put their most junior member on their digital um, or social campaigns. And then they wonder why they're not getting the kind of return on that time that they expect because they put someone on it who may not even have a full years of experience on it. And similar in fundraising, right? You have to be able to make the investment at a senior level if you want to be able to see the return. And so what are you seeing that's working? Because I can, I can hear folks listening right now saying, yeah, it's all great and good, but if I don't have the resources, I can't hire that high level talent. There's a couple of things. One, I think you have to make decisions. If you only have room for one hire, and you're trying to focus in on individual giving, foundation doubling down, seeing opportunities with corporate, and want to build a government program, you may not be able to do those. And you may say to yourself, you know what, the biggest opportunity for growth right now is in corporate giving. So I am going to bring in a corporate giving person to really focus in on this, grow it, make it into what I know it can be, 
couple that with some event sponsorship, et cetera. And then I will augment by bringing in a foundation person. But there has to be places where you make decisions because otherwise, and I've seen it a lot of times, you'll say, okay, well then let me just put the corporate and the foundation person together. It's not necessarily the same role. We know that. And, And so you try to kind of conflate that. I often see that you have the junior person on annual fund, which is typically say under $1,000. It's sort of the general folks who just walk in your door. That can be good, but know that those are your future major donors and you wanna be cultivating them and stewarding them in a way that makes them feel like they are in great hands and they wanna learn more. So you know, there's opportunities and there must always be opportunities for young professionals to grow, but I think we need to balance that, recognizing that some of these roles that seem less significant still have to get the attention of you know, somebody with, with, with heft so that the donors feel valued. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. And, and um, I've certainly heard you talk about that before and we'll reinforce it, that um, you never know where a donor might go down the road, right? Cultivate every donor, not just the the ones who are showing up in the wealth screen. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. You've talked about capacity. You've talked about staffing. Um, the field, if I'm correct, is is predominantly a white field. And I know there are conversations going on around how we diversify both the fundraising field, but then on the flip side, we're also talking about how we diversify the donor base. Right. Um, so tell me what you're seeing from your perspective, what's working, what's exciting to you about the future of this field? One of the most exciting things is that I think a lot of organizations have woken up. Um, they recognize this is important. Here's the challenge though. And I have one organization, a client in my mind as I say this. The executive director recognizes they have a very white audience, the performing arts group, and a very white board. But but he knows he's got to bring in a board that is more diverse. They want to reach a more diverse audience. The board doesn't necessarily all agree. I think there's been shifts, so now they are. But... I think it's a matter of getting everybody on the same page. And that often is your first step. Um, you know, just because you as the executive director or the development director recognize it, it's not necessarily enough. It's really about that culture, whether you're, you know, we've talked a lot over the years about cultural philanthropy. This is sort of culture of diversity. Does it exist? And is it across the board um, at all levels? You know, with fundraising, it is predominantly white and predominantly women. And, and so it's tough. I think you're seeing it more and more. Uh, who are these folks that are up and coming and how can we nurture their talent? Because they're there and they're ready to do the work. Um, and that is, it, you, you know, it's gotta be a, a, a real, you have to focus in on it to make it work because otherwise it's just gonna be like, oh, well, we didn't get the right candidate. Well, keep looking, look in other areas. Think, think about what the job is and how you can get the right person in there. I always knew you had a good name for your business, but I'm realizing, Nadine, listening to you, that focus, focus, focus is what you say, right? Over and over again, how important it is to focus on your priorities, to focus on your values, to focus on what you can do and do those things well. But it's almost one of those things that we probably take for granted how important it is to just focus in. So well done on the name choice. Thank you. Demographics. Let's talk about demographics for a few more minutes here, because I suspect that um, how you've counseled your clients to engage with their donors and to broaden their donor bases has changed over the years. And do you see a shift in 
um, whether that's platforms that people are using or tools that people are using to um, really think about how they authentically connect with a more diverse set of donors, if that is indeed something that a, a nonprofit is facing. Yeah, I think I think they they can. It's not it's not always the same. Um, and I think one of the ways that you can do it, it's interesting. There is diversity in terms of racial diversity, et cetera, but there's also um, diversity in your donor base in terms of capacity and wealth. Uh, and I think that's something that we're also dealing with in fundraising because there's there was always this sense of like, well, these are the donors we want to pay attention to. Um, yeah, they may have been white, but they're also very wealthy and they sort of come from perhaps one sort of point of view. But how do you actually get to other donors who are donors of color, and um, donors of different experience, and maybe donors oftentimes younger, but not necessarily, who don't have this, the, the wealth, the extreme wealth, but they have the ability to give uh, in a different way. Um, and one thing I will point to is monthly giving. I mean, this is sort of the holy grail of, of fundraising has been for the last several years and really came to, to the fore over COVID because these monthly donors who may not be giving a lot, but you bring them together and this is something that is, for the most part, this, this base of support that you can count on month after month. And, and, and you can see about, you know, some of them will give more. Some of them will go from that to a major gift. But for some, this is their way of supporting the work you do, and they want to hear from you. So, so how do you communicate with those monthly donors in a different way than, than you have been with, say, your major donors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you seeing um, any creative campaigns or ideas that are sticking with you about those ways to connect with donors? Um, I, I do have a client that has been doing um, these webinars. You know, webinars, they come in all shapes and sizes, all different flavors. And some of us are sort of exhausted by them. Um, this particular uh, organization never really did a lot of very broad-based um, uh, programs. They were very... Um, it, most of them in person at their, their location in DC, and most of them were for a smaller group. And so what we started doing is just putting the word out, getting a panel together of something that's very specific to their mission. I kid you not, they had over a thousand RSVPs at their last webinar. I think they ended up with about 400 attending, but that was incredible. And that was a first and really just goes to show how broadly they can reach. Now, this was a free webinar, but then what you can do is sort of take that and say, okay, I now have some, a self-selected group who is who is saying, hey, I want to be included here. So it gave them a lot of data to be able to draw from. And then how can we do more of these? So, you know, I think that's a, an example of where you can just, you know, open the gates. The cost is the same. And you're also kind of treating your donors, right? Again, pretty equally, you're saying, I know you have the capacity to give a $250,000 gift and you might have the capacity to give $1,000, but both of you are welcome. And I want you to, and I want your input regardless of what your capacity is. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's like throwing out the idea of the VIP room and instead saying all all are welcome here. Let's, you know, join in. We all share a, a love of this mission. Let's all come in and join in on it. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We are coming to the end. So I've got maybe one or two last questions for you. Um, and the first one is, so here we are, April 2022. We're looking ahead. We're in a midterm election year. We're, we're still months away from end of year giving, but I certainly know folks are starting to put their, their focus on you know, what that's going to be. 
I won't ask you to really read the future here. I definitely won't ask you to do that, but forecast for me, you know, what are you feeling and seeing and hearing about the state of philanthropy, the state of fundraising in this 2022 year? I think this is going to be, um, I think we're headed towards um, potentially challenging time in terms of the politics and the politics will feed a lot of you know, the fundraising, it just will. Like we saw when Trump won and there was a so-called Trump bump with a lot of progressive organizations. I think depending on what happens in the election, uh, a lot of folks are going to have messages ready to send, obviously one way or another, but we know sort of the trajectory of what happens typically in, uh, you know, uh, midterms, uh, depending on the party. This is very sort of inside baseball for Washington, but now clearly is impacting the rest of the country. Um, you know, I think we need to be ready. I, I hate to say it, but a little bit of gloves on and a little bit of like the real deal. This is what's happening. This is what's needed. And a definition of what funding will go for. And I think if there's something that sort of separates the, the great organizations from the good, because they're all doing good work, but how do you elevate? And that is they define what are funds going to do. And I think organizations need to be thinking about that right now to be able to articulate that and, and talk to both the major donors. So what will your $100,000 gift work towards right now? And what will your you know, $50 gift be? And the only other thing I can say on uh, year end is that the, the stewardship and the cultivation for your major donors needs to be happening now. So that work and through the summer, how are you thinking about these folks who have been with you now all of these years, especially through COVID? Are they starting to sort of drift away to another side? How are you pulling them back in and keeping them in your family? Because that's really what this is. Your major donors, just like how you kept connected with your family more than anybody throughout COVID, that's what the major donors have been. They have been family to you and they've said, oh, how, how is this organization going to do next year? I got to make a bigger gift. So, so that's the important part is how, how are you doing that? Well, that's a great place to end today. And we'll reinforce focus, 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 <laughs> fundraising, exactly. um, how important those priorities are, the values and um, that every donor matters, Absolutely. right? You never know um, where those next big gifts could come from. Nadine, this was so fun. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Oh, it was terrific. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of season five of the Mission Forward podcast. We have loved spending this time with you and with all of our guests this season. And we hope you took as much away from these conversations as we did. If you haven't already done so, please head over to missionforward.us to take the season ending survey and tell us what you thought of these shows. Mission Forward is produced with the support of Sadie Lockhart and the Mission Partners team in association with True Story FM. Engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week by Yevgeny Barduj and Josh Leek. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing you can do to support Mission Forward is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thanks for your support.